The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it. Get your snowshoes out. Weekend editions here at Hale Varsity Radio, presented by... The Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Damon Barr mushed his Huskies in. We are ready to rock. Plenty to talk. Busy week with Nebraska football. Signing day 2.0, sort of. Coach Frost met the media, and uh, we have a a lot to get to with some Huskers in the Super Bowl. You can join us this morning, 466-3776. 466-3776-800-825-5865. Find us on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio. Chris Schmidt at Mark Skurs for Mark Cranach at Damon Barr. That's two R's for Damon Barr. Can email us, Chris at HaleVarsity.com, Mark at HaleVarsity.com. But if you are uh, navigating, follow the folks clearing the streets. Bless their heart, the crews, the plows. The uh, city workers out, man, and, uh, of course, the uh, folks clearing the way for you like a good old Nebraska fullback. We'll, uh, we'll keep uh, after it. Cranach, good morning. What's up? How are you? I'm looking forward to this week. Going to get really familiar with the interior of buildings, right? Can't be going anywhere this week. That's going to be freezing. <laughs> I, I had heard. You're, I don't, you're I bent out of shape this. about the temperature, aren't you? Well, well you're not? I mean, come on. Like, I, I'm cool with a little cold weather occasionally, but like for a week straight, negative temps overnight, eh, I'm good. You know, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a, a little, little extreme. It's frustrating when the, the week forecast is is minimal uh, pluses and, and a few minuses that, that veer towards double digits, kind of like a turnover margin. Uh, oh, oh, I see the transition you did there. But don't don't worry, Chris. It's a, it's a dry cold. So we're going to be fine. We're going to be just fine. <laughs> is, it a, is it a non-wind cold? <laughs> That's the other thing. Right? I know. There's so many mountains here that, you know, it feels okay because we're blocked. Ugh, I know. It's going to hey. be a rough week, but that's okay. And then, man, it's, it's a, it was a strange week, too. Like, And I was happy to see that there was more than just – Husker football to talk about. (laughs) The basketball team's been in COVID protocols for weeks, and so they haven't even been able to play. Volleyball had a game canceled because of the same thing. Um, But both those things back in action. And then how about Doc Sadler? Yep. And Coach, is is it Lutz or Lutz? I I should know that, but Lutz? I think it's Lutz. Let's go with Lutz. Okay. Uh, Coach Lutz and and Coach Sadler will not travel 
because they're in the at-risk category, the assistant coaches for Nebraska basketball. Right. They're in the at-risk category, so they are not traveling to Michigan State. And then <laughs> Coach Hoiberg says that they're going to send their thoughts via text. Why not? Like, it's, it's amazing. I can, help, like, really? I, I can help with that right now. Uh, and and there you can go gift game on this, right? And what I'm saying or emoji, right? And I think GIF is appropriate. And there's there's a lot of gifts to choose from, but the one that's best is the montage of items or people or feet or even logs uh, constantly slamming on loop with a bunch of folks martial arts training to the junk. Yeah, that that okay. is, that is the gift you can just keep sending every four minute series before the under sixteen, the under twelve, the under seven timeouts, because yeah, you've, look, you've you've had two weeks off. You're going, you're taking on Sparty, who's not good, but they sure as hell want to take it out on somebody. The line for for some reasons only minus eleven today, and that that's that's all the communication that needs to happen. Because that what is what's going to happen about five thirty tonight. Nebraska's not been able to work out, not been able to practice. They've been back at it finally, kind of easing back into practice. And then you get on the road, and I hope they surprise me because I like Hoiberg and I like uh, his crew. Uh, I, this team was playing better basketball wise before the shutdown happened. But yeah, it, it, you don't, you know, you can. You can type a few phrases. You can uh, send a few gifts, but that that will be uh, <laughs> that will be it. <laughs> it it I, will not go well later today. I it just, but just imagine that you're an assistant coach of a of a major Division One program, and you're li- <laughs> I mean, you li- well, you're Doc, you're, and you're beautiful yeah. on Twitter. It's he's great, but your job is to li- watch the game on TV. And then send your thoughts on text. It's like, <laughs> it's just mind blowing. I would year, love. I mean, this the would, pandemic cannot end soon enough. I would love to just to get that mic'd up, or at least you know shared on on BTN coverage. Or he should just tweet it. You know, Tim Miles used to tweet uh-huh. after you know at halftime. <laughs> just tweet it, like using a secret Husker hashtag or something. I don't know. What do we do here? Well, let's <laughs> let's let's avoid getting the ball to Ivan in traffic. Um, <laughs> Let's uh, take a smart shot. Let's get a screen and roll. Let's get McGowan's uh, isolated on a clear out and have someone good luck and God bless trying to check him one-on-one and see if Teddy can get open for three. I mean, there we go. I saw another thing that chart, it charts it charts in a, um, all college basketball teams sort of like quality of shots. Mm. Like what – like what's what is the percentage of shots that you get that are considered quality for and you know God knows all the factors that go into that but it's probably like how many passes were you open like where distance on the floor all kinds of things like that and based off of that this this kind of analytical firm that that does all this said that Nebraska is essentially like is number two in the country, number two or three in the country in terms of like it's, it's shot quality is so much better than its results. Mm-hmm. Essentially saying that this offense can for work. A, yeah. That they're due for a breakout. Like, it's just like they're the, the luck that they've had, the shots not going down belies the quality of shots that they're getting. 
And so, and, you know, basically saying they should be, and Miami is another one. Like Miami, Florida is number one. Like this team should be way better than it's showing right now. Nebraska is up there too. But now that you've had a couple weeks off, I mean, can it's almost like a new season now. Well, it is. Right? And, and they're going to be gassed because of, of, I mean, you know what basketball is. It's insane conditioning. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, uh, plus, we'll, plus, plus the style that, Hoiberg uh, prefers right tempo. <laughs> he makes it even pace. more right. <laughs> makes it even more tight. But then, then again, it could lead to a thing where they're just doing hockey line changes, and maybe they catch fire in one of those. Well, that'd be beautiful. And for for my sake, for my household, as much Spartan crap is up in Junior's room, and as many sweatshirts as Mama has of Sparty, uh, it'd be great to drill Michigan State and just kind of have that for a week to just taunt them with. That would be good. It would be and 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 God, come on, wifey's just doing that to like pander to Carson, right? I, I well, she made me. I mean, take, she's not an actual Sparty fan. No, she, she is. She made one. She because, made me. She made me take her before the pandemic blew up last year. Take her down courtside to meet Izzo. Yeah, but when did that start? When uh, did her fandom begin with Sparty? With Junior. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. She's pandering to connect with the kid. She's come on. Fairweather, you should call her out on that. She actually gets really pissed off, and he sees her and does the same when when they don't play well. Now, yeah. there, there's some really good stories that have come out of the Michigan State basketball program over the years when it comes to helping others and being great people. That's actually what kind of oh Nebraska hasn't. No, Nebraska has been great, but yeah. there was a moment Junior saw, uh, I think, with uh, Valentine. A few years back, how he connected with a cancer patient on on BTN the journey, and that's how he became a Sp- became a Spartan fan. It wasn't, oh look who's in the, who's in the Elite Eight or look who's won the con. It wasn't the fact that they're really good. It was, oh this guy's really awesome and helping out a little girl who has cancer. So I was, his, I was his, here trying to criticize your your wife and your son. No, my, and that's then you what, throw that's that what, into the mix. Now I can't. Now that's I can't. that's why Junior got into being a Spartan fan, but. Yeah, he is an excuse, but he has a pretty good, pretty good reason. But that's a good reason. Uh, yeah, you should be proud of him and, for that. Is as much fun as he you had. You should be very disappointed in your wife <laughs> for selling out. No, I uh, there's choosing lots, him over you. There's lots I mean, of reasons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, she's awesome, actually, and no, it's fun with uh, just the the interactions they've been able to have. Like they're both Forrest Gump when it comes to moments in time and people they've bumped into. Uh, on the uh, the athletic field or the court with, oh, there's Cassius at the, the scores table, you know, two hours before shoot-around or 90 minutes. I'm doing a show over at Longwell's across the street, you know, last year, again, pre-COVID. It's awesome. It's a big game for Nebraska. They come down, say, hey, peace out. <laughs> uh, we're going to go see Cassius Winston and and try and get a picture with Izzo. So they, they, they've done that, and they've, they've made a beeline for it. Uh, every year that Nebraska's hosted Michigan State. Let's get into some football, Cranach, and, and the signing day 2.0. I mean, you had the uh, official signage from Hahuli out of Hawaii. That's pretty big time. I really uh, enjoyed Scott Frost's story on Coach Tuioti and the potential door that's open for Nebraska when it comes to, to 
recruiting Hawaii. A lot of talent there, and you and I know. It's been a long time since he's got a Hawaii. Right, and you and I both remember the Tony Tatas and the uh, Finotis, and I know Finotti was a California kid, but he was from uh, Polynesia slash Samoa, and that's not Hawaii. But that region is really untapped, and I look at programs like Utah, and uh, Washington State with Leach. And f- back in the day when you and I were growing up, Colorado was phenomenal at recruiting uh, the Polynesian uh, region as well as uh, the Samoan folks that were really good on the lines of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And, and Nebraska said, all right, let's go rock it. And one of the best recruiters in Hawaii uh, for years was George Darlington. And George always rocks Hawaiian Hawaiian shirts, you know, and mm-hmm. I asked him one time, I'm like, well, where'd you get that? He's like, oh, I got it over in Hawaii. He's like, so it wasn't just a, a sale rack item. And <laughs> he about backhands me with his national championship rings. And George, coach is like, no, we, we had a couple of connections. We got in, over, got in over at St. Louis High. It started with Olin Krutz that ended up going to Washington. But oh, they yeah. were there to see Dominic Riola and, you know, the history with Dominic and how great he was here and damn near two decades in the NFL. And, yeah, uh, Hooli's nice. You look at Frost's success with Milton and, uh, of course, uh, Mariota. So, yeah, give me more Hawaiians if I'm a Nebraska fan because they can play ball. And uh, the other side of this thing, too, is just the the regional recruiting that went on for 2021. Uh, you kind of got forced to. You, you did, and, and that's, that's okay because kids closer to home – may not leave as easily. And we'll get into a whole bunch of things when it comes to criticism and recruiting and the portal. We had about a 20-minute conversation yesterday with Ron Brown. So it was good to hear uh, from from Coach Brown and get his take on things with where the program's at. The other side of it is is criticism and patience, right? Because that's been kind of the climate around here. You have signing day and recruiting where Nebraska continues to be damn good. I mean, they are fantastic under Frost with, if you just look at class rankings and signings, and then for them to pull a 19 or a 20 ranking just right behind Maryland, and Mike Loxley's pretty much a legendary recruiter. I mean, he was money for for Bama and Saban. Well, he's got his own deal going at Maryland. Ohio State's Ohio State and Harbaugh and Michigan. You know, you look at rivals and they rank uh, the best recruiters in the country. And you have a coordinator, which isn't very common, but you have a coordinator that has just been killing it for Nebraska in uh, in Coach Chenander. I mean, he's he, he he wound up on the rivals, you know, top top five, top ten college football recruiters. And usually, mm-hmm. and I'm not knocking running backs coaches or receivers coaches. But typically, it's it's somebody that has the time <laughs> not coordinating one side of the ball to, to go sure. recruit. It, yeah. It's it's receiver slash running backs coach and recruiting coordinator title, right? No, mm-hmm. this is Nebraska's defensive coordinator that's done well. And uh, Gabe Irvin is is a guy that I think we're pretty excited I like about. Him a lot. Yeah, Nebraska's yeah. trying to kind of solidify things and and the the bigger scope of frost's presser on thursday you know kind of dealt with a bunch of different things with transfers in the portal but also you know his exchange with McEwen on on criticism and 
I'm interested there. And then you had Moose's uh, comments to the World Herald as well about, you know, rising from the ashes and Hunter and Hunted. And you, you've got a fan base right now that, that wants to win. You got a fan yeah. base right now that wants less talking, more action. The other side of that is, you know, well, what do you want? Because there'd be a, a portion of the fan base that would be complaining that there's no communication, there's no updates from the AD, there's no updates from the head coach. So you, you really can't have it both ways. Give me a coach that's willing to do interviews. Give me a coach that's willing to do press conferences. Give me an athletic director that's willing to talk. And, you know, as I look at things, and you and I have covered this program a long time, is it a reason Nebraska has been struggling or are these excuses? And again, the fan base is, I don't want to say divided, but if the, the fan base has a take on, on how they're kind of sifting through the information that's out there. There Some fans, and you're welcome to whatever opinion you have, are, are looking at things as excuses. It's year four now. Well, Granak, I, I look at things and... It isn't an excuse. I think it is a reality. I think what you, what, what, what exactly being is, is the excuse that you're the, saying? The, ex, the, the, the excuse out there, and this is what what Moose said, and I'm not saying it's an excuse, but his take is: look, dude, what what this staff walked into, they've had to really, really, really dig out. We don't know the the depth of the mm-hmm. hole. Okay, and I've had enough coaches and people in college football say that yeah dude what what they walked into is brutal i mean this isn't walking into a, a nine-win program okay it, it, it's not and it's not inheriting a, a nine or ten win program and we can go back through the four or five different coaching changes that have happened the last 25 30 years and you know what are you inheriting it's still your job to 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 make some chicken salad right if if or or make a five-star meal with what groceries are in the cupboard but you you can do a lot more if there's some filet mignon in the fridge versus, all right, we've got chip beef and there's some toast and there's some cream of chicken soup. It can taste good, but it's just going to be a different level of meal. And and to me right there, I think Nebraska has been, it, it's evident. They've had to build up. We've seen the improvement, right? What are we pointing to when you look at some of the positives? You've looked at the development. You've looked at the lines of scrimmage, right, to, to win in the Big Ten. You've seen... Nebraska get better and stronger, and one of the first things Frost has identified in, in some of his post games is, you know, are, are we getting pushed around or not? Uh, so mm-hmm. we we you know basics to, yeah, yeah the basics right. So I shift from that doesn't happen overnight. I believe that I think they've had to really go hardcore with the development and uh, just the strength and conditioning side of things. The mm-hmm. skill side is there with uh, all the talent they've brought in the the, the problem the, the problem is the, the <laughs> they all leave <laughs> right the problem is the attrition side which needs yeah. to be recalibrated do you go get a similar athlete from a closer region i think they may retweak that and the other part of this too is uh, an identity and and just uh, fundamental football right mm-hmm. and, and to me you can you can talk about what you walked into but when it comes to your job as a coach in a program, you, you can't be getting busted for holding calls, right? You can't be giving up a strip sack on third and eight. You got to kind of hone in what the hell you want to do on offense that's working because you've seen the defense get better. Uh, you've got a four-year starter. That's a luxury in college football. If 
things aren't going well at the quarterback spot, again, back to the portal, right? Kids will leave. Kids will – you'll make changes. You've got a quarterback here that, that regained his job. And if he can take care of the football, can be a really good football player for you. And he has been at times. So there's there's a lot to, to go through there. So I look at Nebraska, what they walked into, just, you know, how – not everybody in the program was soft, but I think there was just a different managerial style and uh, expectation. And, and and it's as simple as what do you know and what have you been successful at coming from the Pac-12? That's what was here beforehand, and that doesn't work in the Big Ten, right? I mean, the, the word was out five years ago that Nebraska's soft and you just pile on them and they'll fold. Well, and look, and that happened. It right? did. And that happened repeatedly. That happened, that happened for a while. And there's and there are so many factors that go into being quote unquote tough, you know, and being able to withstand that and not being kind of a finesse team. And one of those. And it's okay to be. And- it's okay to be somewhat finesse. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you can win all yeah. sorts of ways, but it's meat and potatoes, quite honestly. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and and those components are, you know, strength and conditioning is one. So that's kind of the physical thing just general size, right? Like mm-hmm. having, and then depth is another one, but the, the, the one that's maybe less quantifiable and it's frustrating to talk about, but it's, it is a cultural thing too. Right. And it's, it, you know, I, I have no doubt that when they walked in, there are absolutely players on the roster that were quote unquote tough. Sure. Right. I think so the player players that, that got after it in the weight room, that um, we're not afraid to take on whatever kind of contact that they would encounter in a game, players that are all about delivering the blow. But I don't think that was the rule on the team. I don't think it was the rule. I think you had some guys that did it. So like to sit here and say when they walked in, there was just absolutely nobody that knew how to, you know, that, that was ready to compete, blah, blah, blah. You had smaller it, it numbers. The rule. Right. And then, and then I think that's the same with strength and conditioning. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I don't think that everybody got after it in the weight room before before um, Coach Frost and company came in. So it's like you have to that has to be just your bedrock. No questions asked. Like everybody does that. Like we there is not a single player on this team that doesn't get after. Everybody gets after in the weight room. And there's not a single person on this team that won't stick their head in and and play physically for an entire 60 minutes. You know what? Like that has to be the rule on the team. I I feel like by year four this year that they're there. I I could excuse that away. in like year one and year two, year three with COVID, I'm just sort of, I don't even know how to characterize this last year. Complete cluster. Yeah. I know. I know everybody else dealt with COVID too. I know it wasn't unique to Nebraska, but it's just, it's just a weird year. It just changes. It just changed everything to where I just don't put a lot of stock into it. I just don't. Maybe I should, but I, I don't know. And and lo and behold, ooh, the, the team that has everything the most on point, Alabama, of course, runs away with it and wins the title, right? Like, because uh, everything there is so strong anyways. So when you have a pandemic, of course, they rise to the top and dominate everybody. I. So take year three aside, it's year four now, though, mm-hmm. right? And and I know you've had attrition, and I, I know that your skill positions are going to be largely all untested, unproven, 
players, with the exception of maybe Step and Torre, who do have a lot of experience at the college level, although one of them was FCS. It it is time though for no more excuses. Agre- like there's no ag- question about it. And I'm not saying that we were that that we were making excuses. I'm just saying, or they were making excuses. I'm just saying it's year four now. You have a team that is, God, what, 97% players that you recruited. The weight room, the, the strength and conditioning program is now three and a half years old with the guys that have been here for a while. It's time to it's time to get some W's, you know. No, <laughs> it's just I, I, fine, and I I agree with you. It's it's time to get some W. It's time to play better. It's time to win some some one possession games, and and be organized with your fourth quarter. Be organized throughout a game, right? And I mean, get the, rid the, of those games like Illinois. Yeah, that thing is such an outlier. Screwy, right, it makes no sense. And you know, I've. I now watch more Husker football than maybe I ever have, which mm-hmm. is hard to believe because my son's gotten into it. Right. So his defaults, whenever the TV's on, is YouTube, old Husker. Like when I say old, I mean like That's Husker games from this right. year. Yes. Or last year, the year before. So I'm Husker games are on constantly now, more so than ever before. And when you're looking at it, like w- one of the games he was watching recently was 2018 Michigan, mm-hmm. right? And to our to our discussion about toughness, yeah, dude, it was bad. Like <laughs> that team did not collectively have near the level of toughness, physicality, size, depth, any of that. I mean, they got ran off the field, and we all know that because we watched the game. But like to to and but that's not a game that we're probably pulling up <laughs> to rewatch and relive on purpose. But there it was, and so I got to watch some of it, and wow. To say that there has not been improvement since then, you're, you're crazy. Well, even there, has, there has absolutely been a ton of improvement just in terms of its sh- Nebraska's like sheer competitiveness and being able to impose their will on, on lines of scrimmage in some ways. Like, it, dude, it was bad. I mean, it, it was bad. And so if you're talking about what did they inherit, what did they walk into, just go watch that game. Realize that that Michigan team was not elite. They were good. They were not elite. They just, I mean, they they slapped Nebraska around like they were nothing. Like they were absolutely nothing. And they knew they were going to. The mentality. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And it was just like, I, you have zero chance in the Big Ten when a, t- a team can just do that, right? Just line up and just smack you around. I mean, they had a f- their fullback was wearing Nebraska out. It was just, it was it was embarrassing. I think if you look at any of the losses over the last three years, like that one was cold splash of water, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And I think that changed everything with how he wanted to recruit. I think that day is when Frost was like, oh my God. And so what have they done since then? I'm going to spend time on this because we're going to be stuck inside for a week, mm-hmm. right? I am going to do this. I want to go and look literally at all the power fives, average height and weight, number of players that are over 6'4 or over 300 pounds. I bet you Nebraska is number one or two in the country now. Well, they've shifted in focus. In terms of just sheer size. I bet you number one or two in the country. That'll be good. Put it this way. Ten of the, tw- ten of the guys that they just signed – or six four or taller. They're monstrous. Like what? Well, uh, like, what is that? 
we'll dive in uh, a little further uh, with Ron Brown. Our rewind is next. Uh, his take on lots of things with uh, Nebraska football. A little Super Bowl take uh, as well from Coach Brown. Cranach, uh, good stuff to get us going this morning. Uh, Gary Sharp's on the way. Brandon Vogel next hour. Rewind next. Detail Varsity were presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Now back with Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Back with you, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Excited to talk some football. We say hi to a longtime Husker, Husker assistant and guy that uh, we used to call basketball together. We say hi to Ron Brown. Coach, you miss, <laughs> right. you miss some hoops? How you doing? <laughs> I'm good, man. Yeah, yeah, hoops is different these days uh, as well, but... Uh, I, I get to watch a little bit here and there, but I do miss the broadcasting with you, Schmitty. Uh, you had the classic voice and the classic play-by-play, and I was a rookie trying to keep up, man. That's all I was trying to all do. All I'm going to so. say is your, ba- your back hurt. Your back hurt from carrying me, man, for no, one of those no championship way. Saturdays, six straight games. That, that was uh, that was a good time. That's right, man. That's well, right. I got to ask, so are we going pizza, wings, Italian beef, Chinese, what is on the menu for the Super Bowl? Oh, man, for me, it's whatever my dear wife wants to make <laughs> at that particular time. I, I don't I don't think I'm going to order out, but I may bring some baked lays, ruffles, or something like that, you know, a little snack food like that to go along with it. All right, so, so you're into chips, and, and I've kind of pulled the guests this week, and I, I've got a buddy that's doing kind of a Korean pulled pork. Uh, I am going to probably do the the air fryer chicken wings because I've perfected that. Wow. Mm. Uh, and and I'm thinking, you know, probably probably some pizza. I'm probably thinking some pizza, too. Wow. That's like uh, running into an eight-man front there, boy. That's a lot of beef right there, boy. Well, <laughs> I, I will need to, uh, to get a workout plan uh, stat. Mm. So let's start with some Super Bowl. And you've had... Uh, a lot of experiences in your career with so many players and coaches and, and all different levels between Mark Mark Donovan uh, that you can get into a little bit, but also the Nebraska you know impact with this Tampa squad is is pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. Uh, starting with uh, Jason Light. Yeah, uh, J- Jason, of course, was one of our offensive linemen here back in the day, and I've talked to. Jason a few times over the years and uh, what a phenomenal job of uh, putting together the right kind of players and boy a, G- a GM's job never seems to end Schmitty because you know you, it's not only uh, who you draft like a Lamonte David or, or Khalil uh, Davis but um, but it's also being able to get an acquisition like uh, Ndamukong Su mm-hmm. you know and, and to, to go along with it so uh, hats off to him, and of course, Kansas City has a phenomenal operation. And the president of the Kansas City Chiefs um, is one of my former players. When I coached at Brown University in the Ivy League, I was a 25-year-old back in the day, of uh, 25-year-old head freshman coach at Brown, and uh, my quarterback was Mark Donovan, who is now the president of the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, I'm kind of rooting for everybody in this game, you know. No, I, I would imagine uh, the connections you have, and, and let's see if it's a, a, a great ball game. And, you know, you were on staff at Nebraska. What do you remember about Levante in Lincoln? Also, what do you remember about Sue? 
Well, uh, two great players, difference makers. Um, you know, uh, uh, Levante was a, um, a very quiet young man, you know, very unassuming. You never really knew he was around until the lights went on and for practice or, or a game because uh, he just didn't say a whole lot, but uh, was a very diligent guy, uh, very modest, but t- tenacious player, difference maker, outstanding player. You know, I just, I've always remembered, I mean, he had a lot of highlights. But I do remember the 2011, 2011 game against Ohio State here, rainy night. Uh, they're up by three touchdowns. Levante David causes a fumble, I believe, in that game that turns the game around. Rex Burkhead uh, has a great second half. But what a comeback, one of the greatest comebacks we've had here. And we beat a, a Braxton Miller-led, for a while, led team. You know, Braxton got hurt. That wasn't uh, a, a very much of an advantage for Ohio State either, but all said, uh, Levante had a great career and is having a great career in the National Football League. Happy for Khalil being drafted there, and of course, Nadamakong was a phenomenal player. Um, you know, the best defensive lineman arguably that college football's ever seen, and uh, he's had an outstanding pro career as well, so happy for uh, Big Sue for um, you know his career, and, and he has an opportunity to, to play here in another Super Bowl. Ron Brown with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Ron, when we look at, at what's going on in college football and just the, the roster management that is required, you know, signing day, the, the second part of it just wrapped up this week. And when it comes to the portal, you know, how big of a juggling act is it for a head coach in college football, staff in college football with this ability for kids to leave and, and not lose a season? Yeah, you know, it's really it's really tough. It's tough sledding. It's tough stuff, uh, Schmitty. You know, there were 1,500 kids, I believe, close to about 1,500 kids in the transfer portal um, this year. Um, it, it's just open season. I mean, it is uh, anytime you make it easy to transfer um, when things aren't going exactly the way maybe a kid wants it to go or the grass might be, in his mind, greener somewhere else, you open up a Pandora's box. And, um, you know, it, it's there are a lot of mixed reactions to it. Uh, there are probably some legitimate legitimate reasons mm-hmm. for transfer, but um, it's, um, uh, you know, there's also a lot of um, really – uh, washouts in the, in that as well. I mean, there's a lot of guys that uh, that slide backwards in the transfer portal. In fact, many of them do. Now you see the Joe Burrow story, um, and so you go, well, there's a guy who did it and was a Heisman Trophy winner. But uh, that's probably much, much more probably the exception to the rule. So uh, you got to be careful. I think we, you know, it, it, there used to be a good old fashioned uh, mentality of uh, try harder. Um, you know, if you went down the depth chart, uh, go ahead and uh, see if you can climb back up, or or battle through things, or uh, you know, or or not only accept your role, but but ma- um, you know, uh, maximize that role, whatever that is. But today, Schmitty, it starts even when it's young, way back in in the middle school and and all of the you know the junior leagues coming up. Uh, people are transferring from one team to the next. 
I need to be used better. I need this better. I need that better. High school coaches are pulling their hair out because uh, they'll have uh, they'll have a, uh, a completely different team almost every year now. I mean, there are some high school kids that are transferring to four different high school. I mean, they're in four different high schools uh, in their career because they're looking for that special moment. So it's a massive, massive thing. It's it. No one has been able to stop it. There is no magic touch that anybody has to keep guys from transferring. And particularly, you know, when you get schools like our school, Nebraska, mm-hmm. and you get other schools, particularly out in the Midwest, who are who are are not only tr- recruiting kids in the greater 500-mile radius, but they're also recruiting kids on the coast, both coasts and in the south as well. I mean, it's like it's recruiting is like three-point shots. And when you hit them, okay, it's good, but the idea to keep them there now is much tougher because of the transfer portal. So I'll tell you what, man, it's, it's – and, and you know what, Trimity, I, I would say – Honestly, that it's a reflection of the culture at large. Mm-hmm. It's very, very. It's much easier to to lose relationships. I mean, we have. Um, and, and look, I don't want to get over dramatic in sure. it, but but we live we live in a world where fatherlessness has increased. So people are not with responsibilities. Uh, you know, like we like like we used to have back in the day, marriages break up very easily. Uh, people are in transit all the time. Uh, job turnover. Um, we see coaches hired and fired faster than a lamb can shake its tail. I mean, it's almost like every couple of years in a lot of schools where there's a new coach, there are some position coaches, uh, you know, uh, where you'll have a, you'll have in a, in a kid's career, five years, let's say if he stays at a university um, and he redshirts a year and he's got his four years, he may have five different position coaches. And so – it's just it's it's um, it's kind of like open season in the transfer world, not only for these young college athletes, but our whole American culture seems to be that way. Ron Brown's with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Yeah, yeah, kids want stability, coaches want stability, the uh, the world at large would like stability, and our there's no way to to unring the bell with the transfer option. So, what's the best way to adapt to it? Well, you, you have to be light on your feet, but I, I think the one thing you've got to guard against is trying to fit every single kid into that peg. You need to develop the shape of your peg, and you need to develop the kid to the best of your ability to fit that shape, but you can't keep changing your uh, foundation as a team, as a, as, a, as a staff, you can't keep, you know, trying to make everything fit that particular kid because you're going to have mass chaos. I mean, listen, you know, there are just some house rules. Uh, there are some standards. There are some, some landmarks. There is a foundation that every great corporation, every great team, every great family, every great church, every great institution ought to have. And, and to some degree, people need to bend and fit and match that which is the case. 
give you a case in point. Mm-hmm. So if there's a kid from from uh, from the state of Florida who plays at the University of Florida, and then he gets drafted by the Green Bay Packers, what are you going to do? You're going to just say, well, I'm not going to the Packers because it's too cold there. Going to buy some it long johns, there. man. Yeah, I mean, you you have to adapt. It's not going to be, uh, everything's not going to be just sunny and 70 for you throughout your life. And that's part of greatness. You know, one of the things, there was one young man, I won't mention his name, who was about to transfer here, and he said, Coach, Coach Brown, what do you think? What do you think I should do? And I looked at him and I said, look out the window there. And I pointed to the statue of Tom Osborne and Brooke Berenger. And I said, you see that guy next to Tom Osborne? He said, yes, sir. I said, that was a backup quarterback. He's, he's on a statue. He was a backup quarterback that could have transferred. But you know what? He battled through things that most people don't battle through. And he not only did he battle through things, he got a chance, took incredible advantage of that chance, helped lead us to a national championship, but then had to go through the difficulty of, of being a backup player again, and, and yet he battled through that and became one of the greatest team players we ever have seen here and one of the most influential guys that's ever been in the state. Brooke Barringer, and they ha- they have a statue of that man, and, and and what a great example of perseverance, endurance, seeing you know following through with a commitment. Um, we just don't see much more of that these days, Schmitty. Coach, uh, topic of of criticism's been uh, something we've spent time on. Kind of take me through how, in your world, you've been able to navigate that. You know, some some of the criticism is very just and deserve it, and some of the criticism is not. And that's usually the case in most people's lives. And listen, I think we've moved, we've moved into a culture more so where we can't handle any more criticism. And, and I don't think that's very realistic to expect that, and I think it's, in fact, it's very damaging. If you're constantly running away from criticism, you're always on the move, you're scooting, you're concerned about what people are saying about you in social media, Look, here's the deal, man. If you're going to be criticized, be criticized for doing right things. And what I mean by doing right things, it doesn't mean that every move you make will turn into gold. But what it means is is that you are foundationally, with a high level of effort and integrity, are doing that which gives you the best God-given chance to succeed at your particular endeavor. And and you do it the right way, and you do it in a way that when critique comes unfairly, you can look it square in the face and say, you know what, thank you, I appreciate that, but you know what, I'm going to push right on through that. You keep your eye on the ball, and you keep moving forward. If, you're, if your head is constantly on a swivel with the next criticism or even the next compliment that you're constantly looking, looking for, uh, you're going to be a guy that misses the ball because your head has to remain still and your eyes need to remain fixed. So, yes, is there adjustment? Is there plans for improvement? Is, is there a need for all that? Absolutely. But, critic- you know, I, I really believe that criticism, sometimes that friction turns into traction. And, and oftentimes people allow criticism to do something good. Number one, you, you get into some examination of yourself and to see if there be anything in me that isn't 
quite right. It's good to look inside and take inventory uh, on a regular basis. But on the next uh, realm, committee, you've got to make a decision, and you can't live for the masses and the crowds and the next voice that uh, screams bloody murder at you because you didn't win enough games. And I learned that from Tom Osborne. Mm-hmm. I, co- coaching for Coach Osborne those 11 years in 1990, you know, we we were – I just always remember coming back to the to the office after the holiday break there after the Citrus Bowl we lost uh, to the to Georgia Tech they they won a national championship they tied Colorado we we lost to both of those teams and we lost three out of our last four games and it seemed like everybody was down on us people wanted us out and we finished 24th in the nation nine and three which is really a good year but not a great year for us in comparison to where we had been so what 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 Coach one said his guys and he was being gracious about it he said if you guys can get another job um the people aren't very happy with here happy with us here we may be fired so you better maybe you ought to look and you know nobody wanted to leave and he was just being a gracious man he wasn't saying hey you know you gotta stay with me on this thing but i i really appreciated his humility and nobody left and right after that schmitty then that right before that 91 season is where we instituted the unity council mm-hmm. where we started to take great accountability over the program we had a lot of little empires you know we had the strength uh, department which was outstanding we had a great training staff we had uh, we had a, a well-known football staff our, our our recruiting was you know had been always good but you know what Schmitty, we got we got uh, divided a little bit we weren't all on the same page we needed more accountability we got a little slack and a little bit uh, you know we had a little bit of a too much of a swag too much of an ego thinking that it's Nebraska so it's all automatic coach Osborne uh, humbly and, and again admiring I admire the man so much because he he dug down deep he searched deep what do we need to do to really look under the hood and fix that which was causing the car to smoke and and he did. He he started tweaking things. And but but it wasn't like any major major things. It was just bringing us together. And a lot of it was just basic foundational attitudinal things: love for one another, um, staying on the same page with one another, communication, getting our players more involved in leadership and accountability. And uh, I'll tell you what. You know, that 91 season, it didn't seem like it changed a whole lot. We tied Colorado for the big, uh, excuse me, for yeah, for the Big A championship. We got killed by Miami in the Orange Bowl again. And then the next year in 92, we came back to win the Big A title. We played Florida State in the Orange Bowl, and we lost like 28 to 14, I think it was. So we were getting better. You could see something was happening. And then in 93, we went undefeated to the whole season. We lost to Florida State in the national championship game, a game that we could have we could have won. We had some tough things go against us that day, but you could see we were a different team. And then, of course, 94, 95, 96, we came close to winning uh, a, a third straight national championship. 97, we came back and tied Michigan for the national championship. And I look at all of that, Schmitty, and I say, well, what what turned the tide there? It wasn't. It was a combination of things that took place, particularly that culminated from the 1990 season. If you had fired Tom Osborne then, uh, like a lot of schools are doing these days with, with, with coaches, when they fall into these situations, you would have never gotten what 
you eventually got, which was arguably one of the greatest runs in college football history. So I think I think probably 75, in my opinion, yeah. probably like 75% of the coaches in this country have been fired maybe before it's time. And and now every time you fire a coach, you have to now reinvest and dig a new foundation, and it takes that much longer to get it back up again in most cases. What was going through your mind? Because you guys were cranking out top 10, top 12 every every year. You know, the, the 90s run was kind of the predecessor to what Bama's doing now. Yeah, but you see, that that was the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You, you can never win a – see, Schmitty, when we were, when we were 10 and 2 – and and uh, nine and three and all of that, you know, you, you, people were saying, "Wow!" You, you know, people around the country might say, "Wow, that's pretty good." Nebraska's pretty good, but the people in Nebraska were like, "Wait, wait a minute! We want a national championship. We want what Barry Switzer got at Oklahoma. We want what those teams are doing." Mm-hmm. It's all relative, and quite frankly, and Nick Saban may even feel this. He's won seven national championships as a as a head coach, but um, he may feel like you can't win enough. Michael Jordan might think, you know, I won six NBA titles, but that wasn't enough. You know, they, listen, there's, you can never make enough money. You can never have enough national titles because every situation, is, there's going to be a relative appeal where somebody's going to say, yeah, but we should be this, we should be that. I mean, people today would love to have the records that we had back in the day, you know, where we were winning nine games. Uh, people would give anything to see us win nine games uh, this next year. And we would love to see us win nine games this year. But there was a time when nine games wasn't enough. So, Shemini, how do you play that game? You, you can't. You can't play that game. That's just the, the whole point. Mm-hmm. You have to define success differently than just how you compare uh, from one season to the next and so forth. It's about maximization of your talent each year, and it's, it's, it's about making sure that you're doing things right to the best of your ability. And you have, to live with the, you have to live with the criticism. You have to live with the compliments. You have to be obviously resilient in criticism. We have to be gracious and humble in, in, uh, in comp- compliments and in prosperity. And we have to keep um, you know, putting our nose to the grindstone and staying very, very character-based. Um, that making sure that this program is always going to be uh, at a top level in terms of character, integrity, work ethic, and maximization of the abilities that we get. Ron Brown's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, this was uh, an incredible sit-down. I can't thank you enough for making the time that you do for me, and I just love talking ball with you and getting your perspective on things. Well, I, I th- thank you, Schmitty, and I and I just you know I, I want to say and I say that authentically. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm a fan of Nebraska. I love Nebraska. I'm a fan of Scott Frost. I'm mm-hmm. a, I love him. I mean, I remember him as a player uh, in the in the relationship that we had, and and I've seen him develop into a coach, and obviously um, tremendous talent, one of the greatest pedigrees of all. But he inherited a very difficult situation. He inherited our situation here in Nebraska, something that was very, very different uh, from what it had been in the past with Devaney, um, uh, Osborne, and Solich. You know, that was a very different deal. Now you've got changes, quick changes, and now it's a deeper hole than ever. But so, yeah, I'm, I'm asking the fans, obviously, to have patience with us mm-hmm. and, uh, and Coach Frost. But, but we're also saying, you know what, we're, we're also big boys here. And so we've got to be able to handle the criticism that comes. But the, ma- the most important thing is that we keep our eye on the ball, 
and maximize our God-given talent. So thanks for having me on, though. I, I always enjoy coming on with you. Well, I always love chatting with you. So Yeah, who are you, who are you rooting for in the, in the game? Who's your, my, my, who's your guy for the my, Super Bowl? My heart says uh, probably uh, Tampa, but my head says Kansas City, so that's not an answer for you. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I'm going, I'm going to say Tampa. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll time. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to an Hour 2 Weekend Edition here at Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach. We say hi to Brandon Vogel, Managing Editor, HaleVarsity.com and Magazine. His book with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion. I'm dreaming of sunshine and melted snow. I will just have to keep dreaming as uh, it is uh, nasty. Cranach, what's it like up your direction? Snow has started. Um, winds out of the north. Uh, pretty good precipitation. It's going to be there for a while, okay. and it's going to be super cold. Unlike, unlike, and you just mentioned that Brandon wrote a book with John Cook, mm-hmm. so noted volleyball expert. Lauren Stiverens last night. Brandon, can you kick us off with that? Like, put it into perspective. She hit eight fifty. I mean. <laughs> She's had she's turned in a lot of good games for Nebraska. And like for folks that maybe don't follow volleyball statistics or kind of know like what's a good percent, the the closest approximation is sort of like baseball plus like, you know, 50 to 100 percentage points. Right. Like if you're hitting 300, that's good. 400 is really good. The, the leader in the country is usually around the 450 range. 850 last night. Yeah, it's pretty insane. And even after the game, I think she was, well, I know she was, you can see it in the video. She was surprised to learn that that's what the percentage was. So I think she was at 18 kills, which wasn't her career high. So she's been higher kill before. Um, but, but that percentage, which is, which is basically your, your kills combined with, with any errors uh, that you take off that total is, is insane. So you're getting pretty close to a perfect hitting day. Uh, for for Lawrence Stiverens and, and, and you know Nebraska uh, against a 0 and 4 Maryland team going into the night started out really fast and then kind of lost it a little bit at the end of that first set. Uh, in fact, Maryland I, I think out hit Nebraska in that first set, but the Huskers had built up a, a big enough lead that they just kind of uh, held on there for for the first set win and then lost in the second set to, to Maryland. So I think. One of the things I, I thought about coming into this season is that Nebraska does have, have so many players. Obviously, we know about their talent level. Um, so many players that can beat you, uh, that they can lean on different people each each night if they if they need to. And, and last night they they needed one from from their senior captain and really emotional leader along with Nicklin Haynes in Lauren Stiverns. Uh, so so we'll see what happens tonight. Uh, the outside hitters could probably hit a little bit better for for Nebraska. And they'll need to going forward because you opened with um, Indiana, Northwestern got postponed, unfortunately, and then Maryland. But now you're going to get into the, the teeth of the Big Ten schedule here starting pretty soon. 
Brandon Vogel's with us, HailVarsity.com and Magazine. That's uh, that's a number, man. <laughs> and volleyball's kind of the, uh, the the program everybody else within Nebraska athletics is chasing because of their greatness, their success, their championships, but also just how the foundation's been kind of laid out and Vogues, I want to go there and then kind of transfer it to football. We had a long sit down with Ron Brown last hour, and he hit on a lot of things with with uh, in you know what makes successful football. And we talked portal, and we talked you know foundation, all that stuff about about the program, and you know the schedule got kind of revamped. But in your uh, observation and research and in time with Cook, you know what what are some non negotiable I guess, pillars he has for his program. You see the success. You see the leadership. You see the focus. There's an understanding of of what level of greatness that's just the the minimum they want to achieve. But when he formulated, all right, this is my program. This is what I want to do. Fast forward to to, 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 two decades of excellence and, and championships. You know, what, what kind of concrete was he pouring? Uh, this is a really good question. Um, I think, and, and this is true of successful programs in a lot of sports, I believe, um, for, for Coach Cook in Nebraska volleyball, it really starts with, and this is kind of a, a yearly journey, no matter how many players you may or may not carry over, is really the non-negotiable is really getting these, these members of the team to care about one another and to, and to be a team. And that might sound all touchy feely and kind of um, not a very concrete idea, but it, but it really is. I mean, there haven't been many of them, many teams at, at Nebraska that have truly had a disappointing season. Like a disappointing season for them is that maybe you'll lose in the regional final. So you only make it to the elite eight. So final four is a chance. That's to, incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, but some of those teams were, were ones that I think even cook would tell you, you know, just, it never quite got there. It never quite got to, the extraordinary highs of like, okay, we, we know we're into this together. We're bonded as, as tightly as we can possibly be. And then you add, you know, <laughs> extraordinary talent on top of that. So, so really like, I guess the, the, like the schematic approach, what Nebraska does, how it trains its athletes, um, all comes at the end of all that. It's down the list, I think. And, and Nebraska, you know, Coach Cook and the assistants that they continue to bring in, and continue to win with uh, a rotating cast, I do think uh, are able to to just coach the game itself at a really high level. But it's it's really everything else. It's it's their training. It's getting them used to the attention you're going to get as a volleyball player at Nebraska. So you know, Cook can talk all day about offense and defense and, and passing and serving and why they do what they do and what they try to teach them to do. But it doesn't mean a whole lot if you don't kind of lock in the, I want you guys to really care about each other and I want you to play for each other. If we can do that, uh, we're probably going to be pretty good. And they have. Brandon Vogel is with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Uh, revised Big Ten schedule comes out for, for Nebraska. So that changes you know the entire schedule, not just the Big Ten slate, but um, it's, it's a whole new slate now. And God, looking at it, it is a very – it is a very Big Ten 
home slate. I mean, you have Northwestern, Michigan, Ohio State, and Iowa all coming to Lincoln. Um, huge for like season ticket holders if fans are allowed back in the game or allowed back in the stadium because you're not going to find many years where you have that kind of firepower coming in. Uh, what was your takeaway when when you saw the the revision of the schedule and does it change at all the um, sort of prospectus for Nebraska? Um, so there were, while the two main things that changed were kind of to everybody's thought, um, you, you flip that Purdue game just so you, so Nebraska doesn't play in West Lafayette for a third straight year. Um, it, it would have been a third straight year in Lincoln for Wisconsin, uh, had that game not been canceled this year. Um, so you flip that one. It, it's fine. It, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. I think so Nebraska is going to have back-to-back road games, which, which really doesn't happen all that often. And I can't remember a time when it happened this early in the season. So they'll go to Oklahoma, and it's largely a function of that. You know, uh, your, your marquee non-conference game just happens to be on the road this time. And then play that game, come back off of that, and, and go to Michigan State. So, so that's kind of interesting. And then you've got a three-game home stretch over the end of October um, – end of October and into November with Purdue, Ohio State, and then Southeastern Louisiana, which that one's interesting, too. I'll, I'll be interested to see how, how that one goes. You come off of playing Ohio State, and then you've kind of got the the classic SEC Week 11 <laughs> FCS matchup. And, and again, like a lot of this changed because Nebraska is still scheduled to go to Ireland, still scheduled to play in, in Week 0. Um, we'll, we'll see if that holds true or not. Um, I guess if it doesn't, that probably flips to an Illinois home game. Hey, you're looking at playing three out of your first four games uh, on the road for Nebraska, which, uh, man, look, look up the last time that probably happened. Vogues, I looked at this revised schedule, and I'm all right with kind of the spacing here of of Ohio State and and Oklahoma, because you were going to get those guys pretty close together. Oklahoma is obviously a measuring stick early in the year, and then you can – I mean, this November could be really telling for Nebraska. Just, you know, what what can you do by the end of the year? You get better as the year goes on, theoretically – you pray that you're not decimated injury-wise, or even if you are, maybe you're one of those John Wayne-style Big Ten teams that just finds a way, right, to to to, to get through it with some some reserve guys and and finish out November. But you've got different mile markers throughout the season that I'm I'm really anxious to see with you know where they are with Oklahoma, whatever that result is, how do they handle it going to Sparty to get conference play kind of back into things. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, Lance Leopold's phenomenal, and you get him before you're supposed to go to Oklahoma. So please don't peek ahead. All on top of the fact the pig farmer's waiting for you to kick off the season where Cranach's uh, uh, vacationing in Ireland. I mean, this is a pretty, pretty fascinating uh, journey, potentially. Yeah, there's, there's no – with the way it breaks out, there's no real uh, catch-your-breath stretches when you, when you look at it. So – Whatever, whatever happens with the Illinois game happens, that, that's your opener. There's not really a lot of wiggle room to, to move it anywhere else other than back a week. Well, 
I guess Illinois is already scheduled to play in what is technically week zero or week one. So that's not even an option. But then you got that six game stretch. So Buffalo, which is like the worst kind of G five program you want to play right now. Um, <laughs> when you scheduled that game, seemed seemed fine. But that program's humming. That they lost two really really good running backs, but still, it's a team you have to go out and beat. Oklahoma, you're going to be a pretty pretty sizable underdog in the road in that one. And then you've got Michigan State, Northwestern. Michigan will probably be probably be a favorite though you get that at home in, in Minnesota. So you look at kind of early defining what this is before Nebraska even gets to its first real bye week. Um, how can you do in those those that run of Big Ten games is, is going to be pretty big. Um, and then you've got Ohio State mixed in there over the last five games of the year, the last half, for, for lack of a better term. And you end with Wisconsin-Iowa back-to-back, which uh, nobody likes playing those two teams back-to-back. So it's going to be a tough one for Nebraska, but I think that's okay. This is uh, – it, it's, it's – you know, <laughs> you always hope it's time to learn something about where the, where the program's at, but I think this, this schedule even adds a little bit, a little bit more to that. Brandon Vogel is with us on on Hale Varsity Radio as we talk Huskers and Husker football and the prospects of the schedule and what that means. As you look at it today, I know it's hard, man, because <laughs> my range is anywhere from like four and eight to <laughs> eight and four. Where do you peg it? Like, where do you count? Put it in ink now, February fifth. But where it's so funny, just with the state of the program and and just what we've seen win loss wise over God coming up on half a decade now, um, it's so hard to count any certain W's. <laughs> you know, southeastern Louisiana, I'm, I'm pretty confident that's a W. That's but it. That's the only <laughs> one that I would put in there as a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so. Well, we can, we can kind of work through this <laughs> live a little bit. Ohio State's probably the least likely win. Oklahoma's second least likely. Uh, I would guess Wisconsin, maybe Iowa would be the third least likely. I, I think if you could split those two games at the end of the year, Wisconsin-Iowa, um, you could start to feel okay. I mean, the question is, is can you – and I mean, the big question for Nebraska going forward is, you can, can you avoid the 2020 Illinois game? Because um, if you can do that, it, it just changes so much. I mean, I think Nebraska needs to get to six and six for for sure, and I think they can. But like you said, it's gonna be it's gonna be nail biting time. I mean, Northwestern is, was a, a, a buy low, sell high team coming into 2020. Like you could, you knew that way back in the spring. Um, they're probably going to be a little bit of the opposite, but Northwestern is always, always tough. Like they're just a team you got to beat, and it doesn't matter what they have. It doesn't matter how well they're playing. They're going to be in the game. Same with Minnesota. Michigan state is, is kind of a, a mystery still at this point, though they are much, much better in 2020 than I thought they would be. So yeah, there's, there's other than Southeastern Louisiana, it's tough to see a game here where Nebraska might be say a, a 60, yeah, you know, enter a game with more than the 60% win probability. So it's, it's kind of a, a razor's edge for, for most of the season. I'm fascinated for it because of the, the talent acquisition, okay, 
and, uh, and you might look at me and say you're nuts to, to be fascinated by this schedule, but I am because it's it's year four. Uh, you've, you've got experience. You've got your defense coming back, you know, and uh, by all accounts, we just wrapped up a second signing day. And while there was no signage, you, you still cranked out a top 20 class during a pandemic. So you, you're accumulating talent. Nobody's left yet. Okay. I know it's February, but I mean, there, there's so many different ways to look at this. In year four, with the strength and conditioning, with your lines of scrimmage, if 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 you are delegating more to to Lubick and you can get some 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 downhill run game going, and then oh yeah, by the way, your special teams don't kill you, and you're not fumbling and committing penalties. That's a whole list I've just laid out that they got to be better at. But don't you think they can be? I mean, it's okay to expect them to be in every game, and I think it's okay in year four to expect them to win some close games. It's not like they're not capable. They've won some close games, but, man, it's going to take one of those years where you do get some bounces, you take care of your own stuff with the whole button-up factor, and uh, you're just really, truly, finally a a, a mentally and physically tougher football team. I think this is going to be great because each week you got to come ready to go. Yeah, you definitely do. Uh, with with Bielema in place, that that makes that opening game huge, super interesting. Um, but then, you know, I, I talked earlier about how tough Buffalo is, but I think it's also like a really good test for Nebraska before they go to to Oklahoma. In a lot of ways, and I mean, I'm not going to pretend to know the ins and outs of the Bulls program. I more so know the coach and, and know their results. Like in a lot of ways, you could look at Buffalo and say, from a team culture perspective, they're probably where Nebraska is trying to get to. So can you go out and beat a team like that? Uh, a team you're more talented than a team that you get at your place. Can you, can you go out and do that? Because the test in that game is really going to be, uh, has Nebraska's culture kind of caught up with a team like Buffalo, a team that's been winning over five, six years. Um, and, and we'll see. It's it's a little bit. I mean, it, it's 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 hard to see. I know we've talked about this plane before. We don't need to go over the whole thing. Like you could show really gradual progress, or at least I think Nebraska football is making really gradual progress that hasn't been reflected in in the record yet. It's it's a little bit like like gardening, and you plant that first garden in year one, don't have much expectations, and you, you get what you get. Over the past two to well two years into this year, you know, I, I feel pretty confident about how Nebraska is going about planning this uh, each each season. To some degree, you're you're sub- subject to weather. Um, you, you control as much as you can control, and you may not have all that much control over over the harvest each year. Uh, to make a really tortured and twisted analogy, but Good work. Um, I think that, I think that's kind of where Nebraska's at. Brandon Vogel with us on Hale Varsity Radio. I don't know if you've done this, Brandon. I I might do it myself, but if you just had to, like, l- just looking at sheer size on the roster compared to other Power Fives, um, where would you peg Nebraska? I, I and I guess I, I would. Maybe what what should the cutoff be if you're trying to measure that? I would sort of put it at how many guys do you have that are six four or above. And then how many players say 300 pounds and above? I would have to imagine that Nebraska is top five in the country in that category, if not first or second. 
Would that be your sense too, without actually maybe going through and looking at every single roster in America? <laughs> um, I, I would be a little bit surprised if they're that high. I would put them in the top third of the country, but that's just a guess because um, I, I haven't looked at that yet. Um, but it, it actually, uh, thanks to my favorite website, this, <laughs> I just because I use it a lot, collegefootballdata.com, um, I, I'm guessing there's a way that you could you could pull all, all those positions for Power Five schools uh, into a spreadsheet uh, and just find out the average. Like, what's the average size for a wide receiver at the, at the Power Five level, and see where Nebraska is. I'm, I'm pretty confident with the way that they recruited and the focus they put on that. They're probably bigger uh, than most teams in at most spots. Uh, I guess the real interesting thing then would be to drill down and compare it to the Big Ten um, and just see if it, is the Big Ten a bigger league uh, because it certainly feels like it is. Vogues, what's the plan to tomorrow? All right, I know you're doing some uh, Korean pulled pork, which is great, but are you? Uh, well, who, who's going to win? And have you put any heat down? <laughs> uh, not, not yet. Um, I, I don't have a, a, a great feel. I guess like like Scott Frost and, and uh, all of Nebraska that wasn't already diehard Chiefs fans, which which may not be that big a portion of Nebraska actually. Uh, I'll, I'll be rooting for the Bucks uh, due to those those Husker ties. Uh, I think you you got to take. You probably have to take the Chiefs, um, though. I don't know. I haven't seen. I haven't seen an updated line in the past day or so. Um, I don't know if I would take them to cover. So I'm hoping we get an entertaining game. Um, that's kind of the level of my NFL fandom at, at this point. Um, makes pork probably decent queso. I'm still. I'm actually working on the uh, the plan for tomorrow in full uh, right now. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Well, yeah, I'll even Venmo you, but send me some the, the Vogel queso recipe. And same for Ukraine Act, the 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 uh, O Street Chili Champion from 1999 and 2000 back to back. That's kind of where I'm leaning. I don't know that I'm going to go anywhere. I don't know that I got out in time to get wings. They may be all out in the greater Lincoln area. I pray that's not the case. But some Cranac chili, some Vogel queso could work. Listen, if you're going to do the chili, just I, I would just recommend if you want it versatile and you don't want it soupy, make at least some of those beans refried. <laughs> Man, mm-hmm. yeah, seriously, and then and then to you know Tex-Mex it out a little bit, put okay. in some a little just a touch of mesquite barbecue sauce. Okay, goes a long way. And then if you do that, you have you have your choice of burrito, stuffed baked potato. Bowl dip. I'm thinking I mean, you want. some some green chilies or even maybe a little dash of. I mean, I want it spicy, a little habanero. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Mix in whatever peppers you want. Okay. I mean, Vogues, are you uh, go heavy on those? Okay. Who is the Ohio State of peppers in your mind? Oh, um, Good old jalapeno. No, I actually I don't I don't mind jalapenos. Um, I, I don't love them raw. Uh, I'm a big fan of just dried ancho chilies. They're, it's the Ohio State of my pantry, certainly. <laughs> and that I have them on hand for forever, and you can do a ton with dried chilies, including make your own chili powder, which is almost always the way to go. 
Um, so yeah, usually I have some dried anchos, some, some dried guajillos. Uh, that's that poblano might be my favorite of the green peppers. Okay. Um, so there you go. There's your chili and queso update. Bogues, have a good Super Bowl, buddy. Thanks for checking in this morning. It was fun to talk. Yeah, you too, guys. Thanks a lot. Right. Brandon Vogel, uh, managing editor, HailVarsity.com and Magazine. Follow him on Twitter at Brandon L. Vogel and uh, read him, HailVarsity.com. Well, we will dive in. Uh, some Super Bowl thoughts and uh, Husker insight. Gary Sharp is next. The Iron Horse, big-time Chiefs fan. So we'll get there next to Tail Varsity Weekend. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Early to rise with Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Here's Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Weekend edition, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Damon Barr. We welcome in the Iron Horse. Gary Sharp with his Sharpie. Uh, fired up for tomorrow, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Good morning to my favorite morning three. There we have it. Uh, that makes uh, me uh, smile a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and uh, listen, are you able? Are you going to be able to enjoy tomorrow? Are you freaked out at the prospect of going back to back? Where are you at, man? As a diehard Chiefs fan, you know what? I, I think because it's kind of been a boring Super Bowl week. Yes, um, yes. You know, it doesn't. It, it feels like a mid-October regular season game. Uh, one of the teams is playing in their own stadium. The other isn't flying to the Super Bowl site until today. Uh, last year, you know, last year, uh, Kansas City hadn't won in 50 years. And so I was really like, man, it was a rough two weeks between the AFC Championship game and the Super Bowl. This year, it's just like I'm a lot more relaxed, you know. I, I, I feel good about my team. Um, but kind of like the Bills game, I just said I'm going to just relax, watch the game, Whatever happens, happens. But uh, I'm sure when 5.30 rolls around tomorrow, it'll feel like the Super Bowl, and I'll be pacing and clapping and yelling at the TV and all the normal things that I do on uh, Sundays with the Chiefs. Gary Sharp with us on Hale Varsity Radio. And, and about that game, I mean, you got the you got the three former Huskers and plus the, the, the GM, and you got guys on the strength staff. I mean, big Husker contingent uh, for, for Tampa Bay. Um, not really any on the Chiefs yet. Why, why'd you got to go there? Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> yet, you're yet you're still. Um, you could throw the B enemy card and hey, just just get hey, completely hammer hey. him. We, I'll take Will Shields. You take everybody that's on the Buccaneer roster. You can't. This isn't. No, we're talking about now. <laughs> uh, no, but really, if you look at look at Brady, for instance, um, I mean, just crazy that they're even there, right? What, what do you think? How do you think he will perform? What do you think they will do offensively? Is it is it a keep away kind of game that they're going to try to play? Just better be keep that Chiefs offense off the field, and I mean that's probably what they're going to try to do, obviously. And but honestly, it, could you, could you choose a better quarterback to try to pull that off? Well, I, I think first of all, I don't think this is a surprise matchup. I think I think I heard a lot of people in August say, "Man, Tampa and Kansas City could be playing in the Super Bowl if there's anybody to." play a Super Bowl on his home field, it's going to be Tom Brady. Tom Brady made a great business decision. He looked at Tampa Bay's roster and said they got a great defense. They've got plenty of offensive weapons. Their problem last year was they had a, they had a quarterback that was working at the bakery and was a turnover machine. And he came in and he solidified that spot. He meshed perfectly as the season unfolded with Bruce Arians. I think what they'll do, and, and again, 
I think what Kansas City did in Week 12 won't happen again where Kansas City bursts out to a, a huge lead like they did. Um, I think both sides will make adjustments. But I think for Tampa's side, you know, Tom Brady doesn't have the arm strength to throw it deep. Um, they're going to have to mix in the running game, and they're going to have to have pretty good time of possession to keep Mahomes and that offense off the field. I think what Kansas City will do, and remember Steve Spagnuolo is the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, and he's been great the last two years, especially in the postseason, is he was the guy that has kind of shut down Brady throughout his career going back to the Giants in the Super Bowl. I think they'll blitz Brady. Brady, during the regular season when he was pressured, 51% completion rate. In the playoffs when he's been pressured, he's got a 0% completion rate. So they're going to try and make Brady, I think, beat them. But what a fantastic matchup. I think it's great for football. I think with everything that the NFL has tried to go through this year, they've made it to the finish line. And I think we'll have a classic game tomorrow. Gary Sharp's with us on Hale Varsity Radio, the Iron Horse. Sharpie, I think we know that, that Levante is going to be active and, and have an impact. I'm interested in your take with Sue. And is he just another dude tomorrow, or is he – is he a guy that, that kind of summons one of those Sioux-like performances, i.e. against New Orleans in the NFC Championship two years ago? Does he go off somewhere in the, the Texas uh, Big 12 title game fashion? He, he's had great, great, great big games in big moments. Or is it more about Barrett and, and, and Pierre Paul against that, that outside uh, – injury-riddled part of Kansas City's offensive line. Tell me what you think Sue does, or is he just is he just there? Well, first, I think JPP and Barrett have been great in the postseason, yeah. and they're worrisome for the, for the Chiefs, but Andy Reid's had a couple of weeks to scheme up with, you know, new offensive linemen. And, and it's not like Mahomes sits back in the pocket right. for five, seven seconds. He scrambles around, but JPP and Barrett have been great. Um, Levante David, I'm glad, is getting the attention that he deserves. We all know how good he is. Um, if Sue happens to stomp on my quarterback, I'm getting in my car and I'm driving to Tampa and we're going to have some speaks. Um, but I think Sue will be Sue. You know, he's not as dominating as he was, but he's still really, really good. That just shows you where he was at the peak of his career. One of the, think about this, guys, with Sue. And, and look at how it kind of maybe changes the narrative a little bit if he gets a Super Bowl ring. Even Levante David, mm-hmm. who, you know, wallowed with eight straight years of not going to the playoffs. Sue has had just an amazing career in his football and what will be his post-football life. From his journey to get to Nebraska, his journey to stay at Nebraska, what he did at Nebraska, and then post in the NFL where he's made a lot of money, he's sacked a lot of quarterbacks, he's made a lot of headlines, and he's also going to make headlines when his football career is over in the business world. He's really a – he's one of the most fascinating people I think that we have all – followed in Nebraska football history in a long, long time. And if he tops it off with a Super Bowl ring, I mean, what else is there left for Ndamukong Sue to accomplish? I just hope it's not this year that he gets that Super Bowl ring. Gary Sharp is with us on the on Hale Varsity Radio and a couple of guys that will, of course, uh, be in the NFL and, and play in Super Bowls and probably the Hall of Fame are Nebraska's new uh, transfers in. Um, wow. Samori Torre and wow. Marquis Step. Well, I mean, Have obvious. you not looked at the uh, month of November in the schedule? No, no kidding, man. <laughs> Listen, don't worry. Those guys will be Hall of Famers. Um, no, but the, the the university has released kind of some profiles on both of those guys. So our first chance to hear from them directly and just kind of see what they're all about. A um, couple of like two and a half minute videos where they just sort of narrate what they're about. And I mean, the thing I took away, at least from those guys, and I'm wondering, you know, your impression um, 
but they they come across as experienced. They come across as mature. They come across as very businesslike, right? Like so, sort of attitude-wise, what you can glean from a two-and-a-half-minute video, it appears you got some dudes that aren't going to feel like the stage is too big or that there's you know some sort of, I don't know, personality quirk that will hold them back. They just both seem like super hardworking dudes that are going to get after it. What, what was your impression just after hearing from them directly? You know what? Very similar, Mark. That's a that's a great reaction to their videos, and I think it's important for Nebraska. You got to get old and stay old. And I think the one thing Nebraska can't afford in year number four, where they've got to win football games, is they can't have any drama. They've got to have people that are, as you put it, businesslike, that are here to play football and to use Nebraska to get to where they want to go in their football career. Um, and so I think that's why they were attractive to Nebraska, and they were attracted to Nebraska is the ability to come in and join in the running back room and the wide receiver room, kind of a deep group, but nobody that is solidified or has the kind of experience that both of those guys bring. Um, now, now we will expect both of those guys, that being on campus early, that they're going to be frontline guys. I mean, is, is, have, are they ready to hand the starting running back job over to Step? We know that Touré, I would be very surprised in that first game against Illinois if he is not on the field on the opening snap. But Hopefully their experience and their lack of drama, and they're all businesslike and straightforward and football is their life, that will carry over and a you know, culture doesn't graduate. Hopefully those guys come in and they're able to blend in with the culture but also pass it down. Sharpie, what did you think of Frost Presser Thursday? Well, first of all, I think the athletic director needs to stop talking for a while. I think he just created a firestorm with uh, you know a comment about, first of all, don't ever, ever, ever compare Washington State football to Nebraska football. They're not even in the same stratosphere in terms of fan involvement and fan passion. But I didn't, I know that you know, Sam McHugh in the World Herald, he asked him about the criticism of former players. And it is a few that are very vocal. And it's unfortunate that those few, it seems to me that they have a beef, a personal beef with Scott Frost. Once you go there and you make it personal, I'm not listening to you anymore. You, you have a right to your opinion. You put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and invested a lot in Nebraska football. And I respect your opinion on the football stuff, but don't make it personal. But that is a small minority. It, it does not benefit any former player for Nebraska to struggle, for Nebraska to be bad, because that's all they hear about from their buddies that they played with in the league or their friends and business consultants. So... I think Bill Moose stoked that fire, and I don't think Scott wanted to have to go there to publicly tell everyone that they have, and yes, they have. I know for a fact that they have reached out to some former players just to say, hey, you know, we really want you involved in the program. What can we do for you? Hey, this is what we're doing. I just, that's, we can't, why can't we, why can't we, with Nebraska football, whether we root for it, cover it, play with it, whatever, we can't get away from drama. And that's the problem, and that's the last thing this program needs is drama. Um, the other stuff, I thought, I thought Scott, you know what? Scott has a belief, and he knows he's headed in the right direction. And I think he, he would like August to get here pretty soon because it's going to be a long, long buildup to play in your first football game where you get to show what kind of progress you're making. Um, but I think we all, you know, we all know what's in front of Nebraska, and I, I like the accessibility of Scott. I'm glad he's you know, talking and stuff. But I think the stuff, there's some stuff that should have been kept in-house that was brought out of the house. 
and Scott had to respond, and that's really the thing that stood out to me, not the other X's and O's personnel stuff. Gary Sharp with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Um, you know, as the roster is taking shape after signing day just occurred, I think you kind of know what you, you got on defense, and, and you know, generally speaking, who the guys are that are going to be going to be playing, and you might sprinkle in another you know, handful of guys that'll that'll make an appearance. Offensively, it's an entirely different story. Line is is sort of set. Quarterback is set with Martinez starting. You're likely looking at uh, Marquis Step as as a starter, but the running back position in particular drew my attention. You now have six scholarship running backs there, and there's a lot of different styles there. Step based on experience, all that he's going to get a, a fair amount of carries. It seems like that. But who are going to be the – you're not going to have room for six running backs getting the ball. No. It's just not going to happen. So who do you think are going to be the the one or two others that are that are also going to get their fair share of carries in this offense? Well, I think Savion Morrison's going to get his crack. Um, I think this is a big spring for Ramir Johnson. And don't overlook Gabe Irvin. I think Gabe Irvin, the fact that he got here early, agree. And, and I think, and he was in my, he was in my super six. I think he's going to be very impactful uh, in the fall. What I love is this is going to be a lot of competition in the spring. It's not like we're waiting for somebody to arrive. Everybody is here. And, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have to be okay with one or two of those guys possibly leaving the program, for Sure, but that's okay. That's okay. But because there's competition, it's nice to have competition. And, you know, not everybody can carry the football at the same time. Will Nebraska, and I ask you guys this, will Nebraska be able to find that one guy, and maybe it is Step, that can carry the ball 20 times a game? Because the two things that really stand out to me when I think in-depth about Nebraska football's struggles over the last three years is the quarterback hasn't been the, the next great star consistently, and they haven't been able to find a running back that is a bell cow after Ozigbo, you cure those two things, they cure a lot of things. But they have a running back on the roster that they feel can carry the ball 20 times a game. We'll find out in the spring if Step separates himself and he can prove to be that guy. Gary, I, I want to get to the running back side. You're going to have options. You're going to have a guy that played at a high level in Step. There's a lot of talent you've brought into the room. When it comes to, to the running side of things, why do you think that is post Zigbo? Because we, we've talked for two years about Mills, right, with his usage, and I know there was some injury with him last year with his knee, so that explains it. But you have moments like Wisconsin two years ago where he goes for almost two, two bills. So to me, my question to you is, all right, is, is, is it – all right, they didn't have a running back. They were 100% in on. Is it – concern about the offensive line or is it just wanting to attack a team's defense and I know it's case by case a, a, a better way they thought I mean what if you could drill down in your speculation why why has it been so fleeting to find that that answer with the running approach well I think it's twofold one it's something that you brought up Schmitty uh, it's on the running back to when you're told what hole to go through, to go it. through it, or learn the offense. I also think it comes down to trust. I think there's been times that, uh, that during the course of the last two years post Zigbo that Scott hasn't trusted the running back or he hasn't trusted the offensive line. 
and he doesn't he doesn't want to just let's run run run. You know, we would all love the Rutgers game plan mm-hmm. at the end of the year with that mixture of pass and run, um, and they've kind of relied a little bit on the quarterback's legs. Uh, but I think a lot of it comes down to trust. And you know, it's it's weird to say because Nebraska's gone through the off season where they lost their top running back and they lost their top wide receiver. And I look at the depth in both of those positions, and I think, you know what? If they come together and certain guys take that next big step, they could be better at both of those positions. But I do like that they have options mm-hmm. at running back and wide receiver, and there is competition there. But is it, is it good enough to have the guys that come out of that competition that they are on the field on a consistent basis? And once they're on the field, you don't have to worry about them. They've established themselves. That's the big question I think needs to, needs to be really settled during the spring. I, I think the spring with those two position groups and the quarterback are going to be vitally important for Nebraska, whatever they do in the fall. You know, and sticking with running back, too, and, and it, it's, you know, you've zeroed in on the exact same uh, sort of backup candidates or guys that could, could make some noise that I have, which is Sevion Morrison and, um, and Gabe Irvin, the, the new freshman out of Georgia. And I'm, I'm curious about your why, why, why you zero in on those two. Mine is they just look already. They, they have NFL body types, and there's no but, right? There's no, like, for instance, Ronald Tompkins. He, he would probably fit the mold, but he's, he's got terrible old man knees, right? Marvin Scott, you know, great, but he's like five foot nothing. Um, Ronald, uh, Ramir Johnson doesn't really have the size and hasn't really shown – kind of any sort of physicality yet but those two in particular Morrison and Irvin just seem like sort of don't necessarily wow you in any one thing but kind of do everything well what why are you high on those two no I I think that's a great point you know what Marvin Scott is also going to be in the mix but I think they need to figure out is Marvin Scott an inside or outside guy um it seemed to be confusing with how they used him this past year. And then with Ramir Johnson, gosh, I, I would love to see him get a crack in the spring at the duck R position because he's got good hands. And you don't want to put him on the bench because I think he can be an asset to Nebraska. Um, with Morrison, I love the way he runs. He runs physical. You know what? He's not a guy that dances and goes east-west. He likes to quickly turn it up and go north-south. And I think he's got a good, he's got a good knack for running the football on taking a hit and how to keep going through contact. He's not going to go down on the first hit. Uh, you know, you watch his high school film. That's why it would have been nice to have him at least get a little taste this past year. But any guy that at, at his high school in Tulsa breaks Spencer Tillman's rushing records, you have to go, whoa, this guy is legit. Now, with Gabe Irvin, the first thing that stands out, he played at a great high school program. He's playing against high-level Division One talent every Friday night and in practice at a school that produces a plethora of Division One kids. I like that he, he is – you can tell that he's well-coached. He protects the football. He's got a lot of upper-body strength, and he's got great leg strength that he powers through. And I think also he doesn't dilly-dally. You look at his high school film, he knows where he's going, and he's quick to the hole. So he doesn't have to wait on an offensive lineman to open up the hole. He's right there, and he's physical enough, and I think he's small enough that he kind of hides behind the offensive line. And then once he's past the line of scrimmage, he's out into the open, and you're like, whoa, where did he come from? I'm really, really excited that he is here early to learn this offense, and I think they will give him a chance to really show himself in the spring. Gary Sharp with us on Hale Varsity Radio Weekend Edition. Sharpie, enjoy your Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, best of luck to your Chiefs. Uh, awesome to get caught up this morning, man. Thanks for the time. 
Hey, thanks, guys. All right. Gary Thank Sharp you, Gary. with us. Cranat can join uh, tomorrow. Get that chili rolling. Yeah, man. You as well. And uh, get familiar with your home because you're not going to be going many places. Absolutely. Over this next week. Big thanks to Damon Barr. We'll be back Monday uh, on Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Thanks for tuning in.